felt as though I had a duty, a duty to my local community, to my children, you know, to, to show them that it's okay to stand up for what is right. You're listening to Hope Act Thrive by Be The Future. Or we like to call it HAT for short. And you, my dear listeners, are our Mad Hatters. HAT is an inspirational podcast for guardians of the next generation. Whether you're a planet-conscious parent, groovy grandparent, fab foster carer, terrific teacher, awesome auntie, or any other member of the extended family. We're having conversations with leading doers, thinkers, and shakers in climate action that will inspire you to stay optimistic, feel part of an ever-growing movement, and take actions that fit into your busy lives. Just like you, we want to create a better, greener, fairer future for the kids in our life. So, who are we? I'm Sally Giblin, an environmentalist, writer, and parent, and co-host of this podcast. I'm the one providing the Aussie accent. And I'm Helen Hill, and I'm an educator, author, and designer. The one with a very exotic British Bolton accent. Hello and welcome to the Hope Act Thrive podcast. Today's episode is with Claire Stevenson. Claire lives on the Fowl Coast in Lancashire, Northern England. In 2014, fracking company Quadrilla launched a planning application for hydraulic fracturing in rural Fylde, close to Claire's home. In the months and years to follow, the local community banded together to battle against both the industry and the government in, at times, a dirty and uneven PR campaign led by the fracking industry. Claire will talk about the journey from a quiet life as a writer and mother to a climate campaigner on the front line of a dangerous energy battle that no community wants to be in. The social and environmental justice implications from fracking in the UK reached costly court cases to fight for local democracy and a history-making legal challenge against the government itself. This episode is supported by Frack Free United, a network of residents, communities and campaign groups from across the UK who are coming together to protect our countryside and communities from the threat of fracking. In this conversation, we'll talk about climate action, grassroots community action, fighting fracking, home education, and helping children to connect with nature. I'm Helen, and I'll be hosting solo today, as Sally wasn't able to join this conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Claire. Hello, and thank you for having me on. Oh, it's fabulous to speak to you again. As we heard in the bio, you have played a big part in local action in your community. What was it like to go from the quiet life you'd established as a freelancer to a climate campaigner? It happened so gradually. Before I knew it, I'd actually been quite sucked in. So, and once you're in, you can't get out. We, we say it's like the Hotel California. You can check out, but you can never leave. And I think that when you're actually starting into a, into a campaign you, you don't really know what to expect so you don't know what's okay or what's too much so I think you know going from a lovely quiet freelance life all the way up to you know this intense campaign for local democracy it was quite it was quite overwhelming I'd say. I love that analogy though Hotel California that was brilliant because <laughs> it really is because it's something that kind of well, it ignites that passion and that that need in you to do something, doesn't it? And, and I think when you're quite a driven person, you can't just then let that go. I didn't even feel it was optional at this point. I felt as though I had a duty, a duty to my local community, to my children, you know, to, to show them that it's okay to stand up for 
what is right you know and it, it clearly was right the action that we were taking and the fact that we were raising our voices you know against this government against a company and you know the climate chaos and damage that it would wreak within our local community so i think it was it was very much a necessity i didn't feel as though i had any choice yeah that's so true and and you went through quite a rough time with some of the action didn't you so can you tell us a bit about that yeah um so so my role within the anti-fracking community was word i am a public relations specialist um i am a journalist i do words so because of the onslaught from the industry you know we needed to have quick press responses we needed to arrange interviews within community members we needed to battle back you know and a lot of that was on social media and that kind of pressure really impacted me with my anxiety you know we were up against some really really dirty pr companies that employed a lot of tactics that you know are not ethical and not appropriate and actually very intimidating they knew where I lived. They published a screen grab from Google of my house and um, remarking that I didn't have solar power on my roof, you know, to highlight what a bad environmentalist I was. They remarked what kind of van my husband drove. So they'd, they'd clearly been to my address, you know, and these are all shadowy lobby companies. It, it's called AstroTurf. It's like fake grassroots trying to pretend they're a local residence group when actually they're sat in a, an office in London at a PR company being paid an absolute fortune to cause as much disturbance and damage as they can to our local campaign you know we weren't getting paid for this it was just something that we we had to do you know as mothers as fathers grandparents you know people in the community uh, and that kind of intimidation and harassment really impacted me my anxiety went sky high and it did eventually lead to a nasty case of burnout I mean, obviously, I've, I've talked to you about this before. When you do talk about it, it still gives me those goosebumps and it just, it's just not fair, it's not on. And what motivated you then to continue with this? Because so many people would have just gone, you know what, I, I can't do it anymore. Yeah, I think looking around, you know, at our group of people, you know, which which became like family to us, and it still is now, you know, years on, we still have that absolute... We, we have a, a group that if you see a missed call or it, the phone rings, it's you have to answer it because these are our people you know that's still now after all these years so it's that feeling of not wanting to let people down um you know and i had every reason just to give up because i had two small children who really needed a present mum um but i just I, I was so angry i felt as though you know at some point the job will be done you know we will finish this we will end it and until then i can't give up you know i'm i'm committed to it and i just felt like I didn't want to to let people down and just this absolute need to carry on. So where are you in that journey now? What's been the outcome so far? I am a mere husk of my former self. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I'm shredded. No, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at the minute. I feel okay. We are still working behind the scenes. It's, I don't know whether you've been following the fracking debate within the news, but um, the British Geological Survey have been commissioned to carry out a report it's only a desktop report to see about the feasibility of starting fracking again. What with the horrific war going on in Ukraine and the energy crisis, they somehow think fracking could be a panacea to all of this, which we know is not correct. And so, it, you know, that, that could hinge a lot of things. We thought we'd won it years ago, you know, when that final earth tremor caused damage, you know, property and structural damage. We thought that's it. There's no way they can go back. But they seem to keep 
you know, being handed a lifeline, you know, dragging themselves out of that mire that they're living and they keep coming back. So this could hinge on, you know, restarting this industry. And then I feel like we have to take it on again. So we've already had meetings with our legal team um, where, you know, we're, we're all we're all in. You know, if it happens again, we will have to do whatever we can. And the laws have changed since then. Judicial re- reviews have been um, curbed like recourse for public against government has been reduced. And of course, the new protest laws deem that any noisy protest you can be arrested for. The stakes have been risen and also the the state comeback from that has also hardened. So I think if we had to do it again, we absolutely would. But gosh, I hope we don't have to. So we're still here. We're still researching. We're still all connected. And we know that, you know, if this comes back again, we will have to act. Yeah, and I mean, that's so disheartening, but so encouraging as well that you're all still there, ready to fight to go back at this. Does that help you ease your eco-anxiety, your anger, of having that community of people around you that you're fighting with? Yeah, I think so. And in the early days, we were very, we felt very lonely. It was the strangest feeling. But, um, you know, we were just a very small local community group. And the first community group that I, I joined to help with media and and public relations in this was just literally a residence group of maybe about 12 people average age of 70 nobody had done anything like this before so we all sort of had our own little roles in this cog and we just got on with it you know we got our heads down and got on with it but actually as it became more of a a public concern and you know coverage increased you know we we got support from friends of the earth from greenpeace from mark ruffalo you know in the states he came over Emma Thompson's been amazing. We've had every celebrity and politician support. And those other communities, you know, in Australia and America that have already suffered the intense damage from fracking, from the illnesses that were caused by the emissions, you know, the air quality. It was like this little spider web that reached out and connected with us. And and that was when my definition of community changed. I realised that community isn't, you know, perhaps your closest neighbours on the street. Community can be anywhere that you are feeling connected to another person, another group. You know, it's global. And that that was a reassuring point. I love that. That's a fantastic point. And I mean, yeah, obviously my microphone was on mute, but you didn't hear me go, oh, hello, to the Mark yeah. Ruffalo comment. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he, he was really helpful, wasn't he? <laughs> I think he went to, um, I mean, gosh, my memory's so hazy about all the stuff we've ever done. But sure. he went to a, a movie premiere premiere with um, a fret-free Lancashire badge on, which was just lovely. That was so nice to see. That's incredible. And that's such a little thing that someone can do that just helps raise that awareness, doesn't it? And use their platform. Massively. You know, and you don't really think about that kind of impact. But how many people will have seen that image, seen that premiere being photographed? It was quite spectacular. Oh, you're giving me ideas now. Ooh, that's, that's, oh. that's something to bank in the head for a, yeah. a launch or something we're doing. <laughs> oh, right. I'm going to be contacting Mark Ruffalo and a few other people. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, definitely. So what advice would you give to others that were feeling sort of the overwhelm and the burnout in relation to trying to take on eco action? looking back at everything we've gone through and how we did it and looking back at what we would make difference and I think the self-care I think self-care has to be that priority and knowing when to say you know what I can't do that today I just need a day for myself you know you sacrifice an awful lot to be 
in a campaign such as the anti-fracking campaign, especially when, you know, there was active drilling, there was protests daily, you know, there was actions that we were devising behind the scenes, you know, locking onto gates, locking onto trucks, truck surfing, all of the stuff that we felt like we had absolutely no choice but to do. But with that comes the, you know, the emotional and physical draining of it. So I think self-care and monitoring your own output and being aware of your boundaries. So, you know, can you see any points where the edges are beginning to fray? Um, for me personally, it was the social media and the lobbying campaign. That's where I was drained completely and it really, really affected me. And perhaps that's why I'm so anti-social media now. I, you know, I don't know. I don't really enjoy social media and it still gives me that anxiety so i think knowing your own boundaries um, and establishing them before you begin any kind of campaign or action because it's so easy to get sucked in you know so i'd get up in the middle of the night you know when we were mid court case or anything and i'd get up and i think oh i need to go for a wee oh well while i'm up i'll just check twitter in australia and see what they're saying you know have a look at the share prices see you know what what oil is is doing right now you know and it's that constant whir in your brain and that's you know that was a rabbit hole I got sucked down into so my advice for anybody beginning campaigning whether that's small or large you know establish your boundaries to start with and keep checking back in with yourself to make sure you're maintaining those boundaries because it's so important. Yeah that's absolutely perfect and and I think this is why me and Sally are doing what we're doing because we hate all the gloom and the negativity and you can get sucked into that hole of just focusing on those negatives but if you can look at the positives as well and balance that out and yeah really just well balance yourself I suppose that's so important. I think one thing I want to say to listeners as well is you don't have to go in at this higher level either do you? There is much smaller action you can take in your local community that can help and contribute to the overall scale of things as well isn't there so there's loads yeah yeah what are your thoughts on that what what are ways that some people may, maybe can get involved I, th- I think there's a lot of exciting opportunities um recently I've, I've been helping out with um teaching English as a second language for our refugee friends that have come you know we have people come from Sudan from Eritrea from Iraq, Afghanistan, and obviously more recently, we've got some Ukrainian friends who are now in our community. And that is action to me, you know, helping them to to settle, to, you know, give them signposting where they can get certain help, where they can, you know, feel like they belong. So I think grassroots is a massive option for increasing that community cohesion, you know, and that can be really tiny little actions. Like I met with um, the librarian last week at our local library, looking at crossovers between the food bank, between um, the library, which has a library of sanctuary status, and, um, you know, our refugee language classes, you know, where can we, where can we reach out and make this bigger? And they have um, a local gardening group now that, you know, is planting food that people can go and harvest you know they can just walk past the library and I looked last week and there's all handmade little wooden stakes you know potatoes kale whatever they've got going on and I think little actions like that can be massive and they're only tiny that's not a massive commitment of your emotion or you know your time but you know little gorilla gardening patches how exciting but to have people think that they can take those little actions as a step to making it better for others and themselves I think that's pretty cool you know and that's that's the kind of thing I I want to explore more 
That's absolutely awesome. I love that. And how good is that for your own self-care to be planting little patches with people and or even just donating seeds or something to those causes? That's Yeah, I, it really made me um, excited because this is a library that's less than half a mile from me. And I didn't know this was happening, you know, and I, no. I find myself, you know, I feel as though I'm quite a community minded person. But all of these little pop ups of, you know, it's like seeds. It's like these seeds have been sown and, and people are growing in their own little containers. And actually, if we can take those containers away and start intermingling, we're something really special within communities. Yeah, that's incredible because, I mean, there's quite a big movement with people having allotments and stuff now as well. And it makes you wonder how that could feed into it with people even giving a little section of their allotment away or, you know, to a community group like that or something. Yeah, there's so much that could be done. Um, yeah, so so much. And I don't think, you know, we've even thought of a, a small percentage of it and things no. that are completely outside the box, you know, people can really get involved in. And so at this session with a librarian, I found out that they have a knit and natter group at half two on a Monday, which is amazing. So my 12-year-old now walks down on a Monday She's just done a second week to go and sit with the librarian and whoever else turns up crochet and and just have a chat. And she's gone for longer each time because this librarian, you know, walks around some different books she might not have seen, shows her the garden. And it's just inspiring this whole change, you know, to do something different. That's lovely because it's also normally something that people just associate with the, you know, older people, isn't it? The like knitting and, and stuff. And I'm a big crocheter, so <laughs> I, I'm all for things like that as well. And yeah, I you just get to know your community, don't you? Absolutely. And, you know, from, from this, she's only done two weeks. They're planning a yarn bombing now outside the library. And I think, wow, this is fab. <laughs> <I love that. laughs> I've not done one of them yet. <laughs> So an inspiring part of your journey, actually, is involving your children, isn't it? It's because you home educate them now. So what led to that decision and what benefits does it have for your family? Um, yeah, so my, my eldest is actually, she's just left school. She's just finished her GCSEs. So we home educated her till she was seven. And then from, I think, nine to ten, and then she went back in for her, her final year of primary. And we said, you know, you can make your own decision whether you want to stay home educated or go to school. And she chose school and that was great for her. So the original reason behind it was that I just looked at the education system and I just felt as though it wasn't a holistic one. You know, it doesn't take into account that whole person in general. You know, there are some great schools out there. But for us and our family, I wanted to provide what my children needed, you know, without that kind of pressure. And and that's how, you know, I, we both we're both self-employed, me and my husband. That's how our business is developed around the children. My daughter was home educated um, from four and a half. We put her in school for, um, I think, three half days a week or something similar like that, just to see, you know, she was happy to do it. And then the anxiety crept in and she she was really anxious little girl um, and then at that time the whole fracking debate kicked off again and we, we realised that the children hadn't been taken into account on the map of impacts they weren't even on the map so the school wouldn't stand up for the children and as a, I was a governor at the time and I realised that actually I needed to use my voice here and you know we presented in in the planning inquiry you know about the children the risk to health and we were getting no strong positive results that said you know yeah we will mitigate this we will make sure that you know the children have a safe 
environment to to work and learn in and that didn't happen so I removed my child from school when she was four and a half and she's 13 next week and she's absolutely blossomed because we've been able to you know we're pretty autonomous but we design things around her so she spends her day doing lots of arty and crafty things she learns from her older sister who loves to teach her you know she learns formulas she learns all sorts of things that can trigger her learning and go off and onto another tangent been learning about wood carving so um because my, my father gave her um one of his old pen knives well it's a bit more of a, a a working knife but she got a book on 50 things to make from wood and she's working her way through that so the opportunities again like we're talking about this small action just absolutely massive you know and i, I love the fact that she can blossom and bloom in her own way and you know whatever takes her fancy that's brilliant because it's you know a truly creative adaptable education isn't it which is what well they should all be getting but yes they should they should and you know and i realized how lucky we are to be able to have designed our lives this way so that our mm. children you know can learn and live as they want you know not everybody can do that but i thought well we can and we should maximize how we do it so that's how it's happened yeah and the fact that you've you know two very different personalities they've gone very different routes and and that's fantastic that you just let them make that decision for themselves and what was best for them i mean a big thing with the way that you're doing the home education as well is it's helped you to kind of get them to connect with nature and the outdoors more isn't it so how have you found it's really helped that with particularly the daughter you've homeschooled my daughter who's homeschooled she spends a lot of time outdoors and building you know with daddy building things in the garden and being able to have that different level of connection with nature you know we, we have a caravan so we take that away often and she's always outdoors she's always in amongst the trees and you know just being amongst nature really helps i think mental health considerably for children i think it's just that freedom and you know she's part of the scout movement as well and she loves outdoor cooking she loves bat watching at night we sometimes sit out and watch them come over and we even borrowed a bat detector one so you could get the frequency of the bat to identify what kind of bat it was she really enjoyed that that's perfect you know they sit in school and they learn all these things about chemicals and all that and okay yeah that's all great and it's needed for all the different subjects but she's getting a real world experience of nature and at the same time learning to use technology it in then intrigues you to look up things about those bats doesn't it and their habitats and their you know why they fly in a certain way why they're nocturnal now all that is fantastic because that can lead just to so many avenues and careers and just information that you wouldn't get in a traditional classroom not that. at all it's, it's so focused on academic subjects and you know less about the natural world we live in and i, I find that really quite quite depressing Mm. so how do you think we can best inspire a love of nature then and a desire to protect it in in children <laughs> i think the biggest biggest thing is to unplug you know reduce the devices you know we don't live to that advice all the time you know because our kids do love their devices you know the music uh, the youngest one plays sims plumbing sims honestly what a weird game but she loves it and she loves building on it and and you know doing that technology side of it but sometimes we say you know right okay no device day we're going to go and do this or get yourself out in the garden and i think it's understanding the benefit of that kind of technology but also knowing that it's not everything get outside get to know your local area you know we talked about doing those little actions 
you know what what can you do in your local area foraging you know notice the seasons look look at this with your children you know look how summertime brings these gorgeous lush leafy greens that you can be absorbed in and compare it to winter start an art project you know look at the kind of things you can do with your children that's right in front of you you know the flora and fauna changes are quite magnificent throughout the year if your eyes are open you know go, going along with um the whole technology thing it's made us a very impatient world we expect things to you know be done now you know if your computer stores you get very frustrated you start shouting but actually nature goes with its own flow and i think having having the patience and allowing the patience in your yourself to just discover and the flow of nature i think is is a really really um important point that's so lovely you put it so well and it, it, yeah it's one of those things that like i find particularly this sudden time of year now like we live on a fairly new building estate and we've been here five years but it's just got to the point where people's gardens are suddenly established and if you walk around our estate suddenly there's these massive walls full of roses and and all these fantastic flowers that are coming out rather than you know when we moved in it was just grass <laughs> uh, yeah and, you've seen the changes yeah, and it's That's so nappies. lovely to just go on that loop of the estate sometimes, you know, if you've got 10 minutes and just yeah. have a look at all the gorgeous. Like, I mean, it's partly because I'm nosy as well. Yeah, but like, of course. And I'm like, oh, standard. What, <laughs> what, what can I make here for my garden? What can, what can yeah. I going to steal? What have they done? What what can they actually grow? Because it's such extreme weather up here. It's a nightmare yeah. trying to grow anything. It doesn't leave you just to see all these colours. There was a study done that kids can no longer identify some of the most common plants and trees in, in in the world you know around them and i think that's mm. quite sad but then you know we can use technology for this too we don't have to completely ignore it there's a an app called picture this and you you literally point and click at a plant at a tree at a leaf and it identifies it for you and it tells you all about it so you know on those walks with your children you can take your phone you can take a picture and you can identify it together and and look at what's growing in your local area so you can combine the two I think switching off is really good at times, but also switching on your appreciation for what is growing around you. And there's similar ones for birds and stuff like the RSPB one you put in. Yeah. The size of the bird, is it bigger or small than a duck or a robin? And, and it, you go down this path and it will tell you what bird it is and it's song and it's, you know, it's it's lovely to connect in that way, even just out on a walk. So it's, as long as you're not walking along, you know, while still texting and checking on social media and stuff, it can be a powerful tool for sure. Absolutely, yeah definitely so and i'm very intrigued about your answer to this question what would you say to our world leaders if you were given two minutes in a room with them <laughs> Is it, i'll do the non-sweary answer <laughs> yeah for this podcast please yeah, all right, yeah. My yeah seriously get a grip i'm you know it's just so disappointing to tune into the news and see the conversations and how you know especially in the uk they're talking about you know more fossil fuel burning and we haven't got time for that we really haven't and the world needs the strong leadership for climate and the environment because we are in a crisis right now it's not coming up it's here and you know like my my 16 year old said she said this isn't a simulation you know it's happening right now we're in the here and now we need that action to make the changes necessary so that our future is secure so i would really like them to focus 
on making those changes you, you know thinking back to all of the climate protests um school strike for climate that was such an inspiring movement you know we took part in that my daughter took herself out of school she wrote to the local paper about it because she felt so impassioned that not enough was being done and then covid happened and <clears throat> obviously things changed within the world but the climate change didn't stop it went on and it's getting worse so i would really like some more focus and some actual actions away from fossil fuels and proper investment in renewable energy well done for the non-sweary option That's yeah good. i did well <laughs> yeah, yeah you did no, no punchy sweary <laughs> no 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 so final question what gives you hope for the future of our natural world oh, yeah <laughs> I, I, but i think as well you know it needs you need to dig down deep sometimes for that hope because it's really easy to be, you know, so disappointed. It gives me hope. Turning off the news, I don't think it's helpful at all. I, I th the world is a maelstrom of chaos and it feels like nothing we will do can make that difference. But, you know, the, the theme of what we just talked about, those little tiny actions, start small, do the guerrilla gardening, you know, encourage your kids to be outdoors and you know, creating art out of leaves and trees and just being part of it, you know, making those small changes like reducing our plastic consumption, you know, changing to glass where we can, recycling, you know, reduce our, our need for stuff. We don't need all of this stuff. And and I think that gives me hope of people, you know, really cottoning on to the idea that it's all about experiences and you know, valuable memories rather than the stuff. That that gives me hope for you know the future and that's that's how we can help save that natural environment that we've got by reducing that kind of consumption what a lovely place to end on the hope <laughs> and thank you so much for today claire that's been a really inspiring conversation and i would also say well done on getting your daughter to be a wordsmith as well because that point of this isn't a simulation yeah i'm quite quite pleased at how she's developing you know i'll just get her back to a love of books that she had when she was three and then i'll be delighted Thanks so much for joining us. Your initiation into the Hatter tribe is now complete. We really hope this episode inspired you and that you're coming back for more. If it did, please review, subscribe and share this episode with a curious, climate conscious friend. It makes it possible for us to keep having these conversations for you. And there's lots more where that came from. Check out the show notes for more details on this episode and our fabulous guest. And if you just can't get enough of us and manage to grab another few minutes peace in your day, do come hang out with us on social channels where we share real tips for real parents and help you to turn eco-anxiety and gloom into fun and playful action. And not forgetting you can regularly see us making a fool of ourselves on reels. Together we can hope, act, thrive.